Welcome to the Sports Finder Podcast. Let's get ready to rumble! Sports Finder community, we're back with our regular segment where we speak to great people from the world of sport. And today, it is no different. I have Mr. Mike Trudmack with me. Mike, welcome to the show, buddy. How are you? How's things? Good, Ahmad. Things are going great. It's a beautiful, rainy, 45-degree day, but I'm excited to be alive. Very nice. That's the um, that, that last bit that you mentioned, excited to be alive. That is the most important thing nowadays with everything happening. Um, Mike, uh, before we get into your current daily activities and what you're working on and what organization you're, you're a part of, let's go back in time. Who were you as a young man at school? <laughs> I don't know if I could say that in case my kids might listen to me. Um, <laughs> I, I was a, uh, I would say very confident, borderline cocky college kid um, who, uh, had no idea what, um, what I was going to do after college. Cause I was too busy partying and enjoying, um, you know, my 18 to 22, uh, age years. Um, but I was a, a guy that knew I loved sports. Um, I knew I wanted to be around sports. I, I would wake up and the first thing I would put on was sports center. I would fall asleep. The last thing I would fall asleep to was sports center. Um, and I knew I didn't have the athletic ability to be a professional athlete, um, as much as I wanted to. So I knew I wanted to be around sports. Um, and, uh, I was one of those guys that probably was a little bit of a late bloomer. Um, it took me till my junior season, my junior year in college. And I had a, uh, professional, she was a GM at a, at a football team called the pioneers, which was a, a minor league football team, arena football team. And she came into our class one day and I'm sitting in the back in my sweats and she made a statement about how many people were graduating in each year and how many jobs in the workforce and sports were posted. And it was a drastic number. And she said, what are you going to do to separate yourself? And from that moment on, I kind of woke up and I went from being a only caring about partying to, okay, what's, what's life after college going to look like and started focusing on that. Wow. So that's a, that's a major, major transition based going from the whole partying scene to a real knuckle down and focusing on the future after college. How'd you go? How'd you get through college and get that first job? <laughs> yeah. So it's actually funny. Um, so I had a couple of internships lined up. I did many internships my junior and senior year. Um, because networking is key, right? The, the more people you can network with, the more that get to know you. And I always believe an internship is an interview um, for when you graduate. It, those people are, are going to be hiring and they're going to remember the good ones. Um, so I had a dream internship lined up. It was my third one with the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, they were opening up Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. I grew up a diehard Philadelphia sports fan. And uh, one month before I was supposed to move to Philly, 
my track coach in college died suddenly. And wow. him and I were very, very close. And I was going to miss my senior year for my internship. And I decided I wanted to finish out my senior year and dedicate the season to him. Um, and it left me scrambling to find work. So um, I applied at all these local sports franchises around and nobody was hiring. Everybody had a full intern staff. So I found out that the general manager for the then Scranton Wilkes-Barre Red Barons, which were the Phillies AAA baseball team, was speaking to a class of freshmen um, on campus on Wednesday night at six o'clock. So I threw a suit on, I went, I sat in the back of the class, listened to him speak. And I tried getting his attention immediately after, but he hurried up and, and left. So I followed him out to his car uh, and I explained my situation and who I was. And he looked at me and he said, listen, and he was a big burly man. I, I remember it. He, he said, look at me, son, if you're willing to dress up in a suit and sit in the back of a class and listen to me speak for an hour and then follow me out to my car, not only am I going to get you an internship, but I'm going to pay you. You start wow. on Monday. And I started on Monday and it wasn't much. I was only getting paid a hundred dollars a week, but that was enough to get me food and gas back and forth from campus. Wow. Inspiring. How was the internship? How did you get through it? Yeah. So the internship was unique. I mean, like I said, it was my third one. Um, prior to that, I did two internships, one with the Jimmy V Foundation, which everybody knows about, the other with um, the Maxwell Football Awards, which is a big um, award um, that they give out in, in Philadelphia. And um, those two internships, I was basically giving keys to um, Cadillacs and, and giving money and was told to take professional and college athletes out when they were in for their photo shoots and make sure they were having a good time, right? Um, this one with the Red Barons, I got there on Monday. I sat in a conference room and I stuffed and folded envelopes for eight hours a day. And then I would fax information. And yes, I'm dating myself with faxing. I would fax information out for the sales guys when they would make a sales call and say, did you want information on season tickets? They would get a fax number, hand it to me, and then I would fax it for them. And that's what I did for three straight months. And, and you got paid $100 a week. I got paid $100 a week. But what I did is it was not glamorous. Uh, many times it was very awful sitting in a room by yourself, stuffing and folding envelopes. But I always had a smile on my face. I was so fortunate that I had a job. Um, when I was done, I would go to the guys and I would say, hey, do you have more for me to do? Um, always took it like it was a six-figure job, right? Even though I was getting paid $100. And when a position opened up, the first person they offered was me because I didn't complain and I always asked for more. So you finished college? Yep. And then? I, I started full-time with the Red Barons, the AAA for the Phillies, um, as the promotions director for the team. Uh, and then they said I had a gift to gab and they wanted to try me in sales. And next thing you know, I was a season ticket guy and selling season tickets for the team. Um, and then that grew and I got into sponsorships, uh, and I fell in love. I fell in love with, um, being in a meeting and finding marketing solutions for companies and trying to grow their business through sports sponsorships. And it was something that I found out I was pretty good at and I was going to make a career out of. Wow. 
How was, take me through the experience of that first phone call when they basically contacted you and said to you, you know, you've, we, we're offering you so on, so on, so on. What did that feel like at the time? Um, it was very rewarding. Um, I was super excited. Um, I felt like, okay, the journey that I've been on over the last couple of years of going from the party guy to thinking about what my future was going to look like to turning down a dream internship and stuffing and folding envelopes. It was a rewarding moment. Um, and I, I knew it was something I wanted to do. Um, I, I wanted to grow. I didn't think I was going to be there as long as I did. Um, but then you end up falling in love and meeting the woman of your dreams. And you, next thing you know, you have kids and you buy a house and, and you're in that market, you know? Wow. Amazing. Did you ever think in that time after you turned down the um, internship, your dream internship, did you ever think, oh, no, I made a mistake? So there were many times, and I remember having conversations with my wife um, prior to us getting married um, about what does the future look like for us, right? Um, I had two really amazing internships in cities that were glamorous and now i'm living in the market that i grew up in i'm working for a minor league baseball team you know selling 15 um season tickets and then um selling sponsorships at the time that were maybe like three thousand dollars a sponsorship to be a program ad um it wasn't what i envisioned um but my wife was a little bit or my girlfriend at the time was a little bit younger and she had to finish up school um, and then all of a sudden I got promoted a couple of times and um, you start seeing success and um, she got a great job locally. And yeah, there were times where I said, what's out there bigger for me, right? Um, but I had to take a step back and realize what the amazing things that were right in front of me, um, that I had family around, I had friends, I had a great job. Um, I had the, the girl that I wanted to marry and I said, you know what, that takes a priority over, you know, moving somewhere and taking a glamorous job in the NFL somewhere at that moment. What happens next? So I spent 13 years with the minor league baseball team there in Scranton. Um, I grew from a promotions director making $18,000 a year um, before taxes uh, and grew to be the vice president of the team. We switched affiliates from the uh, Phillies to the Yankees. We built a new ballpark. Um, I had a great mentor and a guy by the name of Rob Crane who came in to be the president of the Scranton Wilkesburg Yankees. Um, he's my brother from another mother. Um, and we really grew the business. Um, you know, we went from a minor league baseball team that was doing sponsorship dollars about 650,000 a year to north of 3 million a year. Um, and uh, I got married. I had two beautiful kids. And um, it was a playoff game where I was leaving. It was in October, I'm sorry, September. And my daughter who was two at the time was crying saying, daddy, I never see you, right? When you work in minor league sports, especially minor league baseball, you go in at seven o'clock in the morning. You're not leaving until 11 o'clock at night. And you might go three weeks without a day off. Um, and I realized that night that, okay, I want to be around more for my kids. And I told one person, hey, I might be looking to get out of minor league baseball. And I had six recruiters call me within two weeks. And um, oh. Learfield was very, was very persistent. 
Um, and uh, they brought me down to Bucknell as the general manager for Bucknell Sports Properties, a part of Learfield. Um, and I fell in love with it immediately. Wow. Take me through that growth, the 650 to $3 million in sponsorship. Um, what was your secret sauce? Um, I think it was a multitude of things. Uh, we had an ownership change. We went from being um, county owned where you're operating on a very low budget to uh, Mandalay baseball properties came in. Um, I was educated by the great Steve Spolstra. Um, many know his son, Eric Spolstra, who's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Um, John was a extremely successful executive in the NBA. Um, he was actually part of a trade where one team traded John to another team uh, wow. because of how because of how successful he was. Um, and I learned a lot under John um, strategy wise. You know, we were undervaluing our product for so many years and we um, went from selling a menu style of sponsorship to sponsorship packages that had more value that you're able to charge more for but also understanding what the product is that you have and understanding the value for it. And, you know, you go from having a average sponsorship deal of maybe 3,500 to within two years, our average deal was 17,000. Wow. That's, yep. that's, that's a significant increase. Yeah. And you, it takes a while. You have to educate the market when you're in a small market and you're telling people, for 15 years, you spent $3,500 on this, but now we want you to spend 15,000 on this. And here's the other additional stuff you're gonna get. You really have to show why they're getting more for their dollar, right? Um, How do you justify I've, that? Well, I've always been that guy that I don't like used car salesmen. I don't like you know radio guys that are selling. Yeah. Um, I, I've always been the guy that dives in. Um, okay. I want to learn more about your business. You know, I'll spend 40 minutes of just educating myself on why your business is either successful or not, who your demographic is, um, who your mar who's your market, what marketing tools have you done that have worked that hasn't worked. And when you learn about somebody's business and then you're able to craft a sponsorship package that's giving them what they need to be successful, you have a greater chance to succeed. And when you succeed and you charge more for it, that's okay, right? Because you're paying more for a product, but you're gaining more out of it. And that's what we were able to prove over a short period of time. Amazing. He went from minor league baseball to um, Learfield, huge organization uh, looking after sports properties. Take me through that change. Like, was it was it a bit of a shock at first? Was it uh, what you expected? You know, change is always different. People fear change. Many people fear change. What um, what was that transition like? Yeah, it it was different, right? Uh, when you spend thirteen years right out of college with one franchise yeah. um, in a market that you know all of your clients and their their kids' names, their birthdays, and so on. Um, and you're selling professional sports, right? When you yeah. sell minor league baseball, you could sell signage in the urinals. You could, I mean, you could do anything that you want to do. When you get into the collegiate world, all of a sudden you hear, um, hey, the first thing you have to do is meet with the compliance officer 
because the NCAA has so many rules and regulations on how we can um, use a player's likeness, marks and logos, and so on, right? And then the buildings that you're selling, the assets that you have are still owned by the university. And they're very prestigious on how they want their buildings to look like. Um, if they put a name on a plaque outside and it's the Christy Mathewson Memorial Stadium, well, you're not selling naming rights to that stadium because it's already called something. There's, a, there's history to it. It's, college sports is very unique. Um, so you have to be very creative, um, but do things differently. So there was a time where I would say a six month period where I really had to get in and learn. And I had to adapt my skills to fit what the collegiate world would give me. Once I was able to do that, um, again, we grew our property um, tremendously. We tripled the revenue at Bucknell within a three-year span. There you go. You got the Midas touch, Mike. I mean, if you, you work things out and then you, you find the way of really growing things. What's the secret? Um, I, I think the secret is leaning on successful people, right? Nice. I'm smart enough to say that I can't do it all on my own. Um, I've been privileged to work with amazing people. Um, but I've also, what I think I've done a good job of is explaining what my vision is to the people around me so that they understand where my goal is and how I want to get there. But I've had people that, I mean, I can't do what I do if I don't have people like, you know, John Stevenson and Christina Knight at the, at the rail riders who, um, understood the vision and, and had the same vision as I did and helped grow the business. Or um, you get to the college world and you get guys like Chad Mason and Todd Newcomb and Jess O'Shaughnessy and, you know, people like that, that um, understand where we want to go and buy into it and know that, okay, here's the goal and it's going to be a team effort to get there. Right. Um, and that's, that's what the success has been. It's having great team members. Wow, there you go. So it's people, right? 100% people. But you said something very important as well before that, self-awareness. You you know what you can and can't do. Therefore, you re rely on other skilled people. So it starts with your self-awareness. Yeah, 100%. And you, listen, I know what my strengths are. I know what my weaknesses are. I need people that um, mesh well with me that have strengths that are not mine. I also need people who are going to challenge me, right? I don't know everything. Um, I want different opinions. I want somebody to tell me, Mike, no, that's not going to work. And here's why. So let's try this. Wow. Um, that's okay. That's what I've always told my bosses is I'm not always going to agree with you. I'm going to tell you what my opinion is, if it's different from yours. And if at the end of the day, you say, well, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to fully support it. Um, but I don't want yes men around me. I want people that speak the truth um, and that find creative ways to figure things out. Very nice. Interesting. Um, Mike, you've been in the industry now, uh, in, in the sporting industry for a long time. What's the biggest change you've seen? Well, you asked that during the middle of a pandemic. So, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well, let's say pre-COVID and then we can talk about COVID and now it's going to change things moving forward in your opinion. Yeah, um, I would say um, from when I started off in the sports industry, um, it was still very traditional, 
right? When you say traditional, when you're talking about sponsorship, it's putting a, a billboard up in the outfield, putting an ad in the program and a radio ad, right? Um, over time, it's much more than that. It's evolved. It's very digital driven. Um, where are people getting their content? Most people are spending time on their phones, on the computers, um, streaming services on, on TV. Um, so it's much more digital driven, but also activation is key. Um, don't just put a billboard up somewhere, put a billboard up and have some sort of traffic driving promotion behind it so that we're bringing revenue in. Um, treat a sponsorship, not as a sponsorship, but as a partnership. Um, how do we grow it together? How can we help their business grow? How can they help my business grow? Which is important so that we're both invested in, in one another. So I would say digital um, assets, activation um, are, are more key. And then just the approach of turning a sponsorship into a partnership. So would you, how, how important in your opinion or throughout your whole career has network been in you driving and increasing revenue at these, at these organizations? Um, well, I mean, networking is key for everything. Um, you know, I think when you and I, you know, initially talked, I said, I love learning on how people became successful. Um, I want to be around those people. Um, I, I'm not one of those guys that feel like I know everything. I'm always learning. Um, and you're always stealing ideas, right? There's not a lot of originality. Um, you might steal an idea and tweak it so it looks original, um, but there's a lot of great concepts that are out there. Um, the more you can network and get to know people in our industry and outside the industry, because they have different views on how much on how many things um, look differently, or they're a consumer and they have a different view than what, maybe what you have. Um, but I have a great network where I lean on people from 20 years ago that I still reach out to and ask advice on. Um, and I'm always there to be an ear and a friend to them as well. So if they need anything, they'll pick up the phone and call me. Um, and you never know. I have so many stories of how somebody that cro you crossed paths with 20 years ago now is affecting something in your life with regards to either your family and the personal life or professional. Um, so you never know when that person's going to come around again. Uh, Mike, you know, what do you say to those students that are coming through college and saying to you, Mike, but I don't know anyone. I'm just a student, you know, like how, how am I meant to build a network if I'm just a student? Like where, where do I start? Yeah. Um, and I, that's a great, great question. Um, I'll tell you a funny story and you'll probably make fun of me here, but I was one of those students that didn't know anybody. Um, and I, somewhere along the lines, I, I saw this or read this story and I stole the idea. Um, I, I went up to um, a shoe store and I bought $20. I bought one of those wooden shoe frames that you stick in your shoe to make sure that they have the, they keep the, the same structure. Yeah. It, and I put that in a package and I sent that to the Philadelphia Phillies contact who was hiring the interviews <laughs> with a simple note that said, I'm just trying to get my foot in the door and meet you. I no would really way. like an opportunity to talk, right? Wow. I got a call 
the very same day he got that package. And he said, I'm looking at that shoe on my desk right now. And that's how I got the internship with the Philadelphia Phillies. So it, you have to figure out ways to be unique and different. So if you don't know anybody in the industry, what creative ways can you come up with to make sure you get in front of them? One of the other things I stress all the time to students when I speak to them is they're sitting in classes either virtually now or in person and guest speakers come into the room. Dress like you are there on an interview. I notice the students that are wearing sweatpants and sweatshirts and their hood over their head and not really paying attention. And I notice the students that are wearing a shirt and tie and are engaged and asking questions and come up to me afterwards. And those are the kids that I'm more than happy to give my cell phone to and be a mentor for in the future. Well, there you go. So it's, um, so I think start early, eh? So it's really about attitude and understanding and reading between, between the lines. Yeah. I mean, and again, I said the line earlier in this podcast is you have to treat every interview, every connection, I'm sorry, every internship and every connection like it's an interview. And if you do that, you're going to gain places very quickly. Absolutely. COVID's hit. The world's changed. It's flipped on its head. College sport struggled to start again in some conferences. Some conferences took it on board, embraced the challenges, and started. What does the world of, of college sports look like post-COVID or during, and during COVID? Um, have you ever gone on the world's largest roller coaster and just been <laughs> spinned around for, for an hour? <laughs> that, that's what it looks like. I'm not um no it's it's different right um but it's ever changing the fluidity of covid and how it's affected sports um one day you say we're not having any college sports this year and then the next day you know every power five has a football season right in the fall so you just have to be able to adapt a lot of people use the word pivot um over and over we're, we're always pivoting um, but we just have to be ready for anything. Um, we have to be prepared for the best case. We have to be prepared for the worst case. Um, but one of the things that I think we're doing tremendous work in with Learfield IMG is using assets that we have through IP rights, through digital marketing assets that aren't necessarily tied or connected to a sporting event. Um, you and I spoke about the big announcement Learfield IMG had about um, eSports yeah. partnering with EA. It's figuring out ways of how can we still deliver to our partners, drive revenue to the universities and to the company um, without using a sporting event or a game day activation. Um, and the companies that are doing that right now are the ones that are surviving. And when things turn around, we saw after 9-11 how, how sports helps people get back to a normalcy. I 100% believe that when we get back to a sense of normalcy sports is going to be a launching point um, and we just have to continue to be there for our partners and work with them and help them survive this as well um, and when things turn around it's really going to turn around and it's going to turn around quickly wow very very nice mike um you've been a a student you've gone through the whole college experience you've worked in the world of sport basically your whole career what's your what's your three pieces of advice to 
an individual looking to build a career in sport? Um, oh man, that's a great question. Um, I would say um, one, network, right? We talked a lot about that. Um, even if your university doesn't offer an internship as a sophomore, um, do it on your own. Reach out to a local sports business and say, hey, I'm, a, uh, you know, I'm interested in a sports career. Can I come in and mentor somebody for a day um, on my own? Can I take you out for a cup of coffee and just get to know you better, right? Um, so networking is key. Um, two, I would say you have to be driven. Um, working in the sports industry in your early years is not glamorous. People think that they're gonna get a six-figure job right out of college and have their own office. Um, it, it, it's not gonna happen, right? Um, you're gonna be that person that's pulling a tarp four times a day at a minor league baseball stadium or dressing up as a mascot um, as an 18 year old. Those are the things that you need to do and you need to do them with a smile to prove yourself, right? Um, and then the third one, I would say the third advice is just be human. Be kind. When you're out there and you're working in the work environment or getting to know people, um, understand what's going on in the world today and just be human. Well, there you go. Um, some great words of wisdom, Mr. Mike. Uh, you've been amazing. You've definitely shared a ton of insight with us. Uh, we'd, we'd love to have you longer. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. Before we wrap things up and let, let you get back to your busy day, um, where can people get in touch with you online? Yeah, um, I mean, they could find me. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn um, all the time. Um, M Trudnak, it's M-T-R-U-D-N-A-K on Twitter. Um, it's Mike Trudnak on LinkedIn. Um, I would say those two areas, that's how you and I met Ahmad um, through LinkedIn. Um, I check frequently and I'm always happy to help somebody in the sports industry or somebody who's starting to get into the industry um, and just wants advice. So please feel free to connect and reach out. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Mike Trudnak from Learfield IMG, thank you very much for joining me on the Sports Finder podcast. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Sports Finder podcast. We'll catch you on our next episode. Y'all ready for this? <laughs>